all hits all the time. We are family. Max Scherzer, double digit K's. We're busting ours to kick yours. Fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. From inside the warehouse on a frigid November day, it is the Mass and All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano, Bobby Blanco, the Mass and All Access Podcast, brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. It has been a long, long layoff for the Mass and All Access Podcast, at least on the Orioles, Orioles side. side yep. uh, it, it was a, a long October for your boys here. Uh, covering the Nationals. We won't talk about that, uh, but we will get into some great Orioles talk today. It's good to be back behind the mics talking O's, Bob. Yeah, thank God that like MLB has this kind of unspoken rule, like no news until after the World Series, because we yeah. would be woefully behind. Yeah. Of all, we would be doing Orioles uh, podcasts from like Nats Park, yeah. uh, Minute Maid Park, St. Louis. I mean, it was just, it was a crazy month, a lot of fun, um, but yeah, no real... Thank God, no breaking Orioles news, and we are kind of all caught up. Thank God for Rocco Botko's blog as well. Yeah, just yeah. kind of reading that every day keeps you on top of things. And you can tell even he is just, all right, I need some newsworthy. I'm now just, we're, yeah. I'm just churning out the same old numbers uh, day in and day out now. But, um, yeah, and no, it's good to be back talking about the O's. Uh, good to see all these bobbleheads back on the table. Good to be in studio. We haven't done an in-studio podcast true. in like a month. All of our other podcasts have been on the road. Our, so yeah. it's a, the comfort uh, of home almost back our, here in the studio. Our web studio was dilapidated and uh, disregarded for a long amount of time. Yes. Um, it, it needed to be cleaned. It was cleaned. Yes. Glad we got that done. Yes. We had no part in that, but no. thank you to everyone who did help <laughs> with that. Yeah, and it looks we're, completely different. I walked in for the first time in a yeah. month. Keep in mind, yeah. we're not a month. And I was like, this is totally different. It looks beautiful. It's glorious. It's, it's, it is glorious. Uh, yeah, finally, we're getting a little bit of news. Thank God the, the Orioles didn't have the offseason that they had last offseason, this offseason. Right. <laughs> they had to totally remake a front office yep. and hire a manager and all that stuff. Um, but they have a pretty boring one uh, so far. But yeah. could have some interesting stuff down the road. Uh, we're going to talk about later on in the podcast, perhaps if there need to be any free agency moves made, if so, what positions would the Orioles target? Um, but first, Bobby, I think we can start with uh, looking back because it, it has been over a month, but we need to reflect just a little bit on the 2019 Orioles season. Yeah, kind of bear with us as we try to piece together like what happened over the season. I, mean, I haven't like thought about Orioles baseball in that yeah. in that month since we I'm did sure our a lot last of podcast. Yeah, yeah, well, that's not true. <laughs> Orioles fans, I mean, look at Rock's blogs. Like yeah, people true. are tuned in, so it's just like, oh yeah, that stuff happened. This happened. I mean. I think we, we would be remiss if we didn't start off this podcast our first in a month without giving kudos to John Means for finishing second yeah. in the American League Rookie of the Year voting. To me, that's um, I was almost taken aback. I did, I, great being a finalist. Uh, for the fact that he finished second, obviously Jordan Alvarez, the uh, unanimous Rookie of the Year, um, and we saw him up close and personal in the World Series. Man, that guy is going to be a force to be reckoned with in, in Houston for a long time. He's a stud. But... You know, I, I'm in the camp where it, it is difficult for a pitcher to beat out position players for awards like this. That's why we have an MVP in a Cy Young. That's why we have a Cy Young, because it's just difficult. It's so rare that pitchers beat out 
position players. And the yeah. fact that John Means, I don't think anyone predicted him to be uh, the winner to, to finish with the award, but I think that he finished second and by a, a, a pretty good margin yeah. over Brandon Lowe of the race. Shout out to the University of Maryland. Um, but John Means, a heck of a season, finished second. I mean, that is, I was not completely taken aback, but I was like, that is one hell of a way to, uh, to, cap off a, a hell of a rookie season and then on top of that he also got married over the weekend yeah. so had a had a couple good days uh in the john means camp yeah uh austin hayes did too so congratulations yeah. to those two a guys young birds getting hitched this is uh this is the prime time to do it november uh yes. you know uh, their world series run would have in theory been over and mm-hmm. uh looking forward to the offseason but yeah john means finishing second uh for rookie of the year nice i mean that all-star appearance earlier on in the year as we know um, couldn't get into that game, but a uh, rookie of the year finishing in the top three and finishing second, considering this is a guy that was not expected to make the team coming out of camp. I remember uh, talking to Rock in spring training, and he was saying, this guy, John Means, who has always been around but has never been discussed. I mean, he was in the minor leagues at Bowie for three straight years, mm-hmm. never expected to make that jump. And in his age 20, 25, 26 season, he does, and he makes that jump uh, to be – one of the better starters, uh, rookie starters um, in baseball. So congratulations to uh, John Mean, at least for getting close. There are no, you know, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, but also in AL Rookie of the Year. Yeah, I mean, again, I didn't think anyone would beat Alvarez. I don't, not many people expected yeah, I mean, him. He hit and, over 300, I yeah, think. And, and the only, yeah. I didn't realize he did it in like 80. Like he did it in very few games, Yeah, um, which is impressive uh, in and of itself. But again, I, I'm just definitely in that camp where it is just hard for pitchers to beat out position players because position players are playing every day. And and I guess you got to take that with a grain of salt with how few outings that pitchers usually get during right. the course of a season. And the fact that John Means I was only second, but second by a good margin, he got ten more second place votes than Brandon Lowe did. I mean, that's 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 to me not only. I mean, and think about it too. Alvarez and Lowe were both part of playoff teams, and, and obviously the Orioles were not a playoff team this season. And the fact that John Means, you know, some might, people might have thought, oh, well, he's, yeah, obviously have a great season, but let's just throw him on the ballot, just, you know, to give the Orioles some saving grace. No, he went out and he competed and finished second. And it's not yeah. just a, it wasn't just a, I didn't think it was any either, but it wasn't just a, like a pity oh, know, no. voting. It was, no, he was the second best rookie in the American League this year, and, and it reflected other people in baseball across the country. Noticed. I know wins don't really matter in baseball anymore. They're not. A, uh, they're just a, a stat to throw out there, but they they don't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. But that being said, when you're on a team that doesn't win many games, that loses over a hundred games, it's kind of impressive when you do pick up some wins. Yeah. I know luck is a factor, but John Means finished with a winning record. He finished with twelve wins, more than Max Scherzer. He was injured, but still, he's in the Cy Young voting. Right. Trevor Bauer, Jacob Degrom, and Noah Syndergaard. Yeah. That's just kind of crazy to think about. Now, obviously, the Mets are the Mets, and they're just never going to back to Grom for whatever reason. But yep. the fact that or he was able, yeah, the fact that he was able to get that many wins, um, he doesn't. Weirdly enough, doesn't um, count for the. If he had a great enough ERA, he would not be in the running for the ERA title. Right. You need one inning pitched for every one of your team's games. And he finished with 155 innings pitched, so he's yeah. just shy. S- seven short. Yeah, um, which is kind of a strange rule, but that's what the uh, qualifications are. Uh, but his 3.60 ERA would have been 24th in all of baseball 
That's ahead of Aaron Nola, Julio Tehran, Max Freed, Zach Wheeler, Yu Darvish, Noah Syndergaard, Masahiro Tanaka. Just some of the better names in the starting pitching in baseball. Yeah, he just needed seven more innings to finish seventh in the American League or in, in the ERA. And you mentioned back going back to training camp and how he kind of came out of nowhere. You know, he developed this changeup, and we talked about it multiple times over the course of the season. First of all, actually, first of all, before the changeup, he had an uptick in velocity, so he had stuff that could eventually play in in the big leagues and then he developed this changeup that was just lethal and he really fed off that throughout the course of the season and guys obviously being a rookie hitters not having seen him before and he was able to fool guys easily with you know a fastball that can play in at this level and then this nasty changeup that you know can just drop and and in terms of and they look the same coming out of his hand he was able to fool hitters easily with this pitch that he developed in spring training like you said he came out of nowhere he was a minor league guy for the course of the season i think there's also a story where he was kind of maybe close to calling it quits right was, yeah. and and in the offseason he made a linkedin profile and then he uh, yeah and then he had this awesome spring training and you know it became a story where like, oh, this guy's having a good spring training. Possibly we'll see him up in the big leagues. Oh, he broke with the team with the camp, and now he's in the running to be the opening day starter in 2020. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think at this point, assuming they're not going to make any major changes to their pitching staff, which I think most people would not foresee, I think he's he's got that the inside track right now. Yeah. Uh, he did have a rough ERA after the All-Star break, 4.85, so maybe hitters were starting to get a little bit more in tune with his changeup and starting to figure out that pitch. But he did finish with a 3.82 ERA in the month of September. So not all bad to close the year. And, of course, he has an offseason to make adjustments and get that his arsenal up and ready. Now he is a full uh, offseason, which most minor leaguers don't have. Right. Um, well, I was going to say, that you can also attribute that second half ERA kind of ticking up a little bit to fatigue, probably. Yeah. What hasn't used to being pitched at this level for this long. Right. And, and now he'll have, uh, you know, a, a lot of... Um, minor leaguers have to go to Arizona Fall League, and they have to yeah, go to various camps and clinics and all kinds of stuff yeah. to get themselves right. Um, but he will be—he's uh, got that inside track right now. That is a perfect him getting second in AL Rookie of the Year is a perfect transition to what I think we can do, which is hand out some awards on the 2019 Orioles uh, and give them some uh, some take some. There we go. Yeah, like some, a some like hardware. a Dundee. Yeah, kind of yeah. like the Dundies. Yeah, the Massanalaxes. <laughs> yeah all right yeah. The, you know the, what i was going for yeah the bobbies and paulies yeah. um so uh yeah some some awards for the season just uh because it is award season um and we'll just relegate it to the orioles in particular say they start at the most important position uh we start uh, at mvp with the most important award i think we'll give manager of the year to brandon hyde i think he's got <laughs> that locked up yeah um, well mvp uh, you know Hold on, well, Ben Hyde got kicked out a couple of games, so there it was. It wasn't a unanimous running. <laughs> oh, true, true. <laughs> yeah, you know, there yeah. was other people on the ballot. Um, MVP. I, I think I we I'm going to assume that we both agree on this one uh, with Trey Mancini. I think that's a pretty easy one. The guy, you talk about what you what you know. The numbers are there too. Uh, we, we've we've harped on the the two week struggle he had in the end of June, beginning of July, but then since then was just lights out. He was at, at one point on pace to get like forty home runs. I think he ended up with thirty five, thirty four, thirty five. Yeah. Um, so just an outstanding season statistically, and then also think about what he meant to this team off the field. You know, we talked about it so many times about how he just really took up that mantle of being the leader of this team, uh, the captain, and you know he was kind of thrust into that role with this whole rebuilding, revamping of the whole organization thing. 
And so I think on and off the field, Trey Mancini, when it comes to being the most valuable, it's hands down him. Yeah, I think no question. He hit 291 with those 35 homers, as you mentioned, came three RBI short of 100, slugged 535 with an 899 OPS, came 1,000, 1 millionth? One thousand, one thousand, okay. Of uh, away from a, uh, a nine hundred OPS, really the only guy to have a nine hundred OPS in the last several years for the Orioles is Manny Machado. Yeah, um, so that's pretty hard to do. So all of those numbers are career highs, um, with the exception of the average because he had that crazy rookie year. Um, so in, in really impressive stuff from Trey Mancini. I mean, it, it, he had he did have some tough stretches his his uh, batting average kind of dipped and <laughs> soared it was a kind of roller coaster for his batting average throughout yeah. the year um but consistently he was drawing more walks than he ever has in his career he was hitting more homers than he ever has in his career and on a on a lineup where they didn't have to pitch to him they could have avoided him every time and still probably gotten away with it he was uh, he was raking. Yeah, and I think if we're going to give out a little maybe honorable mentions for this reward, I think you have to talk about Jonathan VR. Yeah, you know, he ended up. You know, he at one point was leaving this team in home runs. I think he finished with twenty four. He played one hundred sixty two games, and you know yeah. if you're, you're your best ability is your availability. So, you know him being able to go out there every single day and perform. And we talked about his versatility on defense, being able to play multiple positions in the infield. He stole forty bases. I mean, this guy. Had a solid season, too. So, I mean, I think unanimously we're giving the you know, most valuable Oriole to Trey Mancini, who was voted the most valuable Oriole. Um, but Jonathan Yar should not go overlooked, too. He had, a, he had himself a, a solid season as yeah. well. And considering his defensive uh, statistics, he actually had a higher baseball reference and I think maybe a higher fan graphs war than Trey Mancini. He definitely on baseball reference. I'm looking at it right now. He's got yeah. a four, and Trey was a 3.3. Right. So... Yeah, VR certainly kind of almost weirdly flew under the radar. But in addition, the amount of bases that he was stealing, um, I think he was kind of allowed to play free this year. um, And uh, he made the most of it. So VR and Mancini. um, Yeah, Mancini gets the award. VR gets second place votes from from us. Uh, Cy Young. Let's talk about some Cy Young. Uh, We kind of mentioned him earlier. I think uh, we're going to have a unanimous pick (laughs) for this one as well. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be John Means. I mean, we are just talking about Baseball references, war calculations. John Means led the Orioles with a 4.6 war. And, and like kind of going back to like pitchers versus position players, that, that's difficult for a, a pitcher to lead a team in war just because, again, there's a lot less volume of, of games. So the fact that he was able to go out there and, you know, take the him being a rookie out there, that's a great story in and of itself. But we're just talking about the best pitcher on the staff. He was the one solid, consistent starter that this team had, and that's something that they've been needing for so many, for a couple of years now, just the consistency. You know, we talked about how Alex Cobb, again, injured, had an injury-played season. You know, Andrew Kashner found his groove and then was traded off to the Red Sox. John Means was out there consistently and, and getting innings and outs throughout a consistent basis more than any other pitcher that the Orioles have seen over the past handful of seasons. He had one of the lowest ERAs, I think, Wayne Chen from a starter position, uh, starting pitcher, excuse me, um, in the past couple of years. So by far the most consistent and the best pitcher on this pitching staff. It is crazy to think, I was just thinking about, you mentioned that the dearth of, you know, great starting pitchers that the Orioles have had in recent years. That has always been their fatal flaw as they made the playoffs in 12 and 14 and 16 they still did never had an ace through that uh, time period, and mm-hmm. it's amazing that they were able to get that far without that. But you think about 
how far would those teams be able to go if they had a John Means? Yeah. Especially a lefty. That's one thing that they really struggled with was getting a good left-handed starting pitcher on their staff. It's kind of a shame because you think if they if they had gotten this version of John Means three years ago, this might be a, you know, they might have gotten themselves back to the ALCS or even further than that. Yeah, maybe I'll correct myself. That's that I saw might have been he had the lowest ERA from a left-handed starting pitcher right, for the right. Orioles since Wei and Chen. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, and, you know, this is... It's now someone that the Orioles can build this rotation around. And for a long time, we thought that was going to be Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gosman, possibly Hunter Harvey, who has now maybe found himself a spot in the bullpen permanently. So the fact that it's great, obviously, that they have a guy like that, but that he came under the radar and just really snuck in there and kind of stole this spotlight, this this job of being the ace of the staff. Not really a job, but you know what I mean. I, I think it helps out guys like, Michael I is so much like that. That's one less thing he needs to worry about moving forward um, in in this whole rebuild process is finding a starter for the top of the staff for the long term. He, he's a rookie. He, you know he's going to be here for the long term. You're not going to trade this guy away. You're not going to. You know he's your homegrown kid. Yeah. He's not like a Trey Mancini who has a couple years under his belt who might have a lot of value right now that he can get for assets. He is your asset. He yeah. is your main asset right now because he's a young starting pitcher who has proven to be, can be a staple in this rotation and be your frontline guy. And it's crazy to think you mentioned Gosman and Bundy because those two were always expected. If it wasn't going to be one, it was going to be the other. That right. was going to be the ace of the staff. Gosman, you know, had shown flashes and, but was mostly inconsistent, but Bundy has never had an ERA under four. John Means in his first full season just got an ERA at three six zero. So um, pretty crazy to think that this guy really truly came out of nowhere and was the ace of yep. this staff. All right, so MVP to Trey, Cy Young to John Means. Let's go to a, a most improved player. Uh, I don't know if this is this is not an official award. I think this is an award. Uh, it's like a MLB Network award or something. Yeah. Or that, I guess it's a comeback player. Is is there a uh, is there a an NBA Most Improved Player? I think so, right? Possibly. I think so. What's what's, just, what's are we doing? Um, <laughs> we'll do a most improved, improved and, and a comeback. So what's I, let's, let's throw what, both out there? What's the difference? I think uh, comeback is you had to really struggle and then come back. Uh, most improved, I think, is you've never really shown much, but this could be your breakout year. Okay. So slight difference, right. slight difference. But I'll start with most improved. I'm going to give it to Hanser Alberto. Uh, his career numbers before he came to the Orioles, three seasons, 89 games, a career 192 average, zero homers, and just six extra base hits with Texas. 2019 season, 139 games, 305 batting average, 12 homers, 26 doubles, two triples. An absolute breakout year for Hanser Alberto, to the point where I saw Baseball America, who predicts years down the line, the Orioles 2023 lineup, I think it was, mm -hmm. and they still had Hanser Alberto in there. Oh, I saw that. Amongst yeah. guys like Ryan Mountcastle and, uh, you know, their starting pitcher, I think, Just was. Just Diaz. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, he is, has all of a sudden turned himself into a very useful piece, much like John Means. It, an incredible uh, breakout season, again, that we did not see coming from this guy. Yeah, a guy who hit over 300 is, is always going to... And a guy that, what, signed in spring training? And, like, you I think know, they released him at one point and brought him back. He was just a peace holder. He was supposed yeah. to be just a guy that, all right, we just need to get... You know, we need someone to throw out there. We just need someone to... You know, maybe he's a left-handed hitter. He can maybe hit pretty well. 
picked off waivers on January 11th. Uh, he was uh, by the Orioles from the Yankees. Then on February 22nd, the Giants took him from the Orioles off waivers. And then on March 1st, a week later, the Orioles took him back from the Giants. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So he kind of bounced around. He's, again, a guy that really couldn't find a landing spot and then just proved himself to deserve to be here. And, and you know, the Orioles this year were that team that, you know, if you needed a, ch- if you needed a chance, come here and play because you'll have an opportunity to play and prove yourself. And Hans Roberto. I think we talked about this at the end of the season. He was just one of those guys that took the opportunity and ran with it because yeah. he all he needed, he just showed he needed a consistent opportunity to play day in and day out, whether in the field or, or at the plate. And he proved not just suitable, but, you know, exceeded expectations on both sides and was able to be you know, a reliable guy for Brennan High, especially at the top of the lineup. Yeah. I mean, a guy that uh, I he crushed lefties, as we know. Um, and if he can just hit righties a little bit more, if he can be a little bit more patient, he's pretty much an ideal one, uh, a leadoff hitter, if not a number two, um, yeah. because, uh, you know, he, he, he proved himself just about everywhere, um, was called on, on one of the many guys in this team that was called on to play multiple positions on this team, did serviceable at those. Uh, so to me, Hanser Alberto, a guy that we really did not see coming, um, earning a starting spot uh, going forward. And, and also a guy that kind of goes under the radar, but should be magnified in this day and age in baseball, doesn't strike out too much. You know, in over uh, 100, almost 140 games and over 500 plate appear, uh, at-bats, he only struck out 50 times. Yeah. And comparing to, like, guys like Trey Mancini and VR, who uh, they struck out well over 100 times, in some cases over 150 times. So that's really impressive that he, you know, he puts the ball in play. Yeah. And we've heard many managers, especially in this day and age with analytics stuff, you know, just put the ball in play. Don't strike out. Put the ball in play and see what happens, yeah. and then, you know, you'll get on base. And I think that really helps his uh, – he doesn't have that strong of a moment. Oh, wait, 329. That's not terrible. Yeah. But, well, yeah. And uh, those 12 homers, I mean, you know, they don't, you know, jump out to you. But that's about the minimum you need to be a major leaguer at this yeah. point. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's like, you know, <laughs> everybody will fly. Yeah, everybody's hitting like 25 a year. So – um, for him to be able to show at least that he has a little bit of pop. I mean, he only had six extra base hits uh, in 89 games prior to this. So the fact that he had 12 homers showed that he can um, take the ball out of the ballpark helps a little bit. So my most improved player goes to Hanser Alberto. I think we could turn. Do you have a different candidate? Yeah, uh, you're not going to get me to argue against that too much. Uh, maybe I'll just throw an honorable mention. And I think yeah. it's just a... It's not a recency effect. I think it's just that we've seen this guy play for a couple of years now. Pedro Severino. Yeah. Um, the guy who came from the Nationals, he never really had a, an opportunity to be the full-time starter there. It was kind of a revolving door of veteran catchers over in, in D.C. with Wilson Ramos, Matt Weeders, Jose Lobatone. Um, and then he comes here, and within the first handful of games, he hit more home runs than he ever had in D.C. combined. And he played consistently here. I think he was just, you know, he wasn't terrific by any means. He wasn't you know, one of the best catchers, but he was just given, like, kind of like Hans Alberto, given the opportunity to play every day um, and, and and contribute. And, you know, he hit 249, almost 250. That's not terrible for a catcher uh, in 96 games and then was able to get uh, 13 home runs and 44 RBIs. He also, I feel like he also had a couple of really big moments too for the, and a couple of big at-bats and, and, and some key spots. Um, and there you know, few big Orioles games that they, you know, ended up winning so yeah. i think just being having seen him play throughout his career locally to see him come here and just kind of get a change of pace a, a fresh start was able to him become the 
an improved player, uh, uh, re- rejuvenate himself a little bit. And his caught stealing numbers were not great this year, uh, 24%, but um, I feel like he showed a little bit defensively too um, that I had never really noticed about his game. I think he got he made some, some strides throughout the season. Yeah. We know the coaching staff worked with these guys defensively more than maybe any coaching staff in baseball because mm-hmm. of the amount of time that they had them taking grounders, which you never see before a game. Um, the amount of times we saw them working with the catchers with Severino and Austin Wins doing pop-up drills yeah. um, behind the plate. Uh, I feel like he made strides defensively and showed, you know, it, it, and your numbers really don't have to light up the the stat page if you're, your offensive numbers if you're a catcher. So, right, yeah. Um, yeah, so any of that stuff is just a bonus. But he showed uh, that he can be a, a serviceable catcher behind the plate. And, uh, and this, you know, there's no way to quantify this, but... The energy he brought to this yeah. team. I mean, there's again, it's a young roster. We saw a lot of him, you know, show his passion and you know his youthfulness out on the field and how excited he got at you know fist pump with the strikeout or a fist pump after throwing someone out at second. I think that helped kind of spark the team too, especially when and when you know when you're losing as much as the Orioles did, it's kind of yeah. hard to keep that you know, fire in your belly and, and, and go in day in and day out. And I think Pedro Severino helped that along the way through a tough season. Definitely some second place votes for Severino. Comeback player of the year. I've got an interesting candidate here, Bobby. Okay. My vote goes to Andrew Kashner. Oh, all yeah. right. Uh, you might remember he had a pretty down 2018, a historically down by his standards 2018, a 5.29 ERA. He gave up 29, 25 homers. Uh, he was giving up 10 hits per nine. He had a 1.58 whip, which is brutal. All of those numbers were career worsts for him. He did not look like the guy that they had signed, that they hoped they were going to get when they signed in spring training before that 2018 season. He was kind of one of the guys that wasn't blamed per se, but was a, a factor in that terrible 2018 season that nobody really saw coming. Completely different 2019 with the Orioles. Uh, In those 17 starts with the O's before he was traded, he had a 3.83 ERA. Uh, He had a 6.2 strikeouts per nine, which is not a very high number, but it was his highest rate since 2016, so he was uh, missing more bats than he ever had. Uh, And it was good enough to get him traded to the Red Sox for a couple of uh, 17-year-olds down in the Dominican Summer League. And to make it all better, he had a 6.20 ERA with the Red Sox. So, not only did he help the Orioles, but he hurt the Red Sox. Yeah, he gave his best innings to the Orioles. Yeah, I think that's an interesting way to look at You know, we do have to take these awards with a little, you know, I guess green of salt. Green of salt, yeah. Because, yeah. so, you know, it was a tough season. So, yeah, you give it an award tough, to a guy yeah. who he gave his most value because he became tradable. And, yeah. he, you know, you got something for him. and. And it ended up being the only trade the Orioles made in season. So, you know, yeah, I, I, that's that's a funny way to look at it. Yeah, Andrew Kashner, he struggled out of the gate, I believe, um, but so did everybody except for John Means. And and also to take into account that Alex Cobb never got right and didn't pitch for the for the season. The fact that Andrew Kashner then, you know, two years ago the Orioles brought in these two veteran pitchers to kind of carry the 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 load on, on the starting rotation. And that never obviously came to fruition. The fact that Andrew Kashner was then again without Alex Cobb was able to, you know, churn in a quality start here and there and, and become valuable for the Orioles to get someone in return. It's an interesting way to look at, a, you know, the comeback player of yeah. the year. And especially considering how bad he was the second half of the year for the Red Sox, 
the fact that the Orioles got two guys out of this, really pretty much regardless of how these guys turn out, Elio Prado and Nolberth Romero were the two guys. So they're, you know, they're, they were 17 at the time of the trade. They're ways, a ways away right. um, if they ever make it. But the fact that the Orioles got anything for Kashner yeah. um, is, was a, a, a stroke of uh, luck. Uh, the fact that all of those good starts just happened to be with the Orioles. I don't even know if he had a quality start with the Red Sox. He was getting hit around every every time he went out, really, um, for the Red Sox. But uh, good for Kashner for at least... And and them trading him, I will say they it was absolutely the right move to get anything back. But yeah. I know Brandon Hyde did miss a little bit of his leadership. Yeah. So he showed that he could be a leader uh, on a team like that where he was showing guys how to do things, how to... Had a, had a pitch at a major league level for a lot of guys that had never had that experience before. Yeah, and Andrew Cashman even mentioned that on his like way out, I guess. Yeah. Like he's going to miss this clubhouse. You know, he didn't really want to leave, but he understood why he yeah. was being traded because he liked kind of being the veteran and the, the the role he was thrusted into that rotation of being, you know, the guy that these young pitchers look up to and, and helping them guide them through the early parts of their career. Uh, before we move on, yeah, my... I'm going to throw two names at you. I'm not going to argue against Andrew Kashner. I wasn't thinking about that because the now comeback player of the year, I'm thinking of somebody who was hurt okay. the year before. Yeah. And two names come to mind, Austin Hayes and Hunter Harvey. Guys that, you know, have been, in, especially Hunter Harvey, but Austin Hayes too now for the past couple of seasons, have been names that Orioles fans know very well throughout the minor league system, but just wasn't able to, weren't able to break through because of various injuries and setbacks and stuff. Austin Hayes coming up and hitting above three. I mean, it's just in a small sample size, but hitting above 300, his glove was fantastic in center field. He made some some of the most memorable plays of the season are the catches he made at the wall, in diving like catches in center. Yeah, the last month of the season. <laughs> and then Hunter Harvey finally breaking through and making the major league roster, being brought up to Baltimore and being an absolute stud out of the bullpen and, and a bullpen that needed arms. You know, we have listed on here reliever of the year, and that's going to be a tough award yeah. to, to, to dish out because this bullpen struggled so much this season. But Hunter Harvey coming in, again, limited sample size, but was being able to touch 100 and strike guys out in big spots and, and, and eat innings for this bullpen that weren't being able to get out of in earlier yeah. parts of the season. Um, and for him to overcome all the setbacks that he's had and all the pressure he's had for being a top prospect in this farm system for so long to not only make it to the major leagues, but find success is a pretty good story for him. I, I don't think it can be overstated how impressive it is just to get there. I mean, the fact that, you know, it's a, it's a story somewhat like Dylan Bundy's from a few years ago, but this his injury list, Harvey's, seems to be even longer than, than Bundy's was. It would be great and awesome, and I'm rooting for it, for him to be able to be a piece of the future going forward and a, and a good, solid pitcher. But just the fact that he's, he got here and he succeeded in the small amount of time that he was here was incredibly impressive. I mean, to make his way all the way back um, and to get that call up, I mean, that's, that, that's a moment that will make, you know, make a guy's career. Yeah. Um, so incredibly impressive. Great, yeah. uh, great submission there, Bob. Thank you. And Rockabaka wrote a couple of days ago on the blog about how Harvey – Probably has found himself a solid place in yeah. that bullpen. Yeah, exactly. All right. Gold glove slash defensive player of the year. Another tough one. Yeah. Um, but there are a few candidates that I think that we can consider for this. My mind immediately went to Richie Martin Jr. Correct. Mine too. Um, then I looked up his, his fan graphs and defensive stats. Numbers weren't there. They're not there. Mm. Minus eight defensive runs saved. Minus 4.2 ultimate zone rating. 
2.7 error runs, which is not good. It basically is the number of runs above or below average that a fielder uh, has is based on his number of errors. So he's committing, he's giving up 2.7 runs. Strangely, he just wasn't there. And he did make some spectacular plays at short, but uh, apparently, according to the numbers, they didn't quite match up with the eye test. Um, mm-hmm. He did uh, make 10 errors, I believe, at shortstop, spent the entire season at shortstop. They didn't try him out at any other positions. He has the speed. I think he has the arm to play that position. Um, but for whatever reason, it, it didn't. the numbers don't quite match what we seem to see, which was a, an above-average shortstop. Yeah, it was a good... Well, all right, let's go back to the taking this with a grain of salt because yeah, it, yeah. Uh, who else was going to play shortstop? You know, Jonathan Yar was over there for a handful of times as well, but you really kind of needed him at second base because while Hans Alberto was serviceable at second base, VR was just better. Yeah. And um, yeah, again, Richie Martin was up here because of his defense. And obviously the rule five status, he needed to stay with the major league club roster for the entire season. And then he's obviously going to start next year in the minor leagues probably throughout the whole season, but his defense was not only what kept him on the roster, but kept him in the field. He played a handful of games, and I think I'm going to go Richie for this award just by based on volume, the fact that he played enough, played so many games, and that it was his defense that, you know, kind of not forced Brandon Hyde, but allowed Brandon Hyde to put him out there as often as he did. I, I Yeah, it, some, you know, I kind of going back to, like, the Buck Show Walter way of thinking, yeah, the, all his numbers are great, but the eye test for me, he made some really tough plays that rookies – especially at shortstop, don't often make. And it was impressive to see, you know, it was, you know, I'm not comparing him to a Manny Machado, but you haven't seen a flash, a young guy, a flash like that in the infield of the Orioles since Manny Machado. And it was like, wow, this guy can develop into a really good defensive player at some point in his career. You know, this is an interesting dichotomy because you're going with the more eye test scouting and I'm going to go with the more computer stats, the the uh, the new way. I feel age. like that's usually is, how we do this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is uh, this is the struggle that is at the core of baseball itself. I looked into who had positive defensive stats on the Orioles. Rio Ruiz was a candidate for me. He had two defensive runs saved at third, three point two defensive ratings according to Fangraphs, and a one point eight ultimate zone rating. All those numbers are pretty good. But to me, Hanser Alberto had a four ultimate zone rating. Five defensive runs saved, a five defensive rating, according to Fangraphs. All those were the best on the Orioles. He played 90 games at second base. He played 66 at third base and four games when he was pressed into service in the outfield. He was versatile. Uh, He was best at second as opposed to anywhere else. I got to go with Hanser Alberto gets my defensive player of the year. He definitely made a lot of good. And again, back to what my comment earlier, I wasn't like putting down Hanser Alberto's performance. It's just that. I think the Orioles were on the eye test were best defensively with Richie at third, excuse me, short and and Jonathan Villar at second. Uh, Rio Ruiz is a good pull because there were I now I think there are a couple balls on the line that he made some diving plays at. Now I also feel like eh, maybe most of his blunders came on the base paths. He played he played solid defense, so that's that's a good submission as well. And again, Hanzo Roberto, I guess the numbers back him up. Um, I mean, he made some. Great plays. He did make some questionable plays. And I think, uh, you know, when I think also of his defense, I think of some of the blunders he made in the four games he was in the outfield because yeah. he was totally out, out of position of, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he made the the regular play pretty consistently. He, did, he made the regular play, and that's, you know, that's all you need. Just yeah. make the plays you're supposed to make. And then also, if I recall, he 
turned a couple really good double plays, I think especially later in the season at second base, like some diving stops and getting the ball to second to, to, to get over to first base as well. So, yeah, Hans Alberto definitely. I, to me, it's just if a guy is, you know, take out the rule. If a guy's in the line, rule five, we've seen rule five players be on this roster and not play before because, you know, all they need is be on the roster. You don't have to necessarily play him. But for him, for Richie Martin to start as many games as he did at shortstop and the way his bat struggled, yeah, he played solid enough defense where – you know, okay, he he's kind of my best defensive player. And we're not even talking about the outfielders. Can, can we talk about Austin Hayes again? Oh, <laughs> Just yeah. Because, like, those plays, I, they immediately jumped to my mind, too. The diving plays, the, the plays at the wall, the let's go gifts that we have. I mean, it's just, I mean, is there a defensive play, player of the year, asterisk, like highlight player of the year? Like, it seemed like every time that kid was out there in center field, he was making yeah. highlight real catches. He actually put up very positive defensive stats. Yeah, Considering he played, like, about a month. Yeah. I mean, really. Um, I think he got called up, what, at the end of August, maybe? Um, and really, I mean, showed out defensively. Was a spark plug for the team. Hit over 300 in the short sample size that he had. Uh, yeah, 21 Austin, games. 21 games. Austin Hayes definitely deserves a, a some kind of mention in this conversation, yeah. at least. Uh, yeah. He was he was exciting. Um, Interesting number about the about Alberto. I'm, I'm, yeah. But I agree with you on, on Martin. Especially, I mean, he'd never played above double A. Yeah. For the season. And a lot of young guys, if they're struggling at the plate, it reflects defensively. It never did for him. Right. And, it, and the toughest position on the field, too, at shortstop. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, this is going to be the toughest of all the awards. Reliever of the year. Ooh. The Orioles had the second uh, worst ERA uh, bullpen by ERA. bullpen. Yeah. The worst belongs to the World Series champions, which I don't think that's ever happened. Nope. Uh, worst ERA entering the playoffs ever. That's nuts. Uh so not too many candidates to pick from here. I have to go with the guy with I, who I believe had the lowest ERA in the bullpen, and that would be Michael Givens. Not a great year for him statistically when you look at his career numbers. A 4.57 ERA in 63 innings pitched. Uh, he converted eight of his 11 save opportunities. Um, the only number that really stands out that was a positive for him was his K per nine, a career high 12.3. So he was getting guys to swing and miss. However, he gave up some big hits in the process, um, and they kind of, you know, a closer on a team that loses 100 games isn't terribly valuable, but when he was pressed into service, he did okay, not great, but by default, I have to give it to Givens. Yeah, I think so, too, and it's more of, like, the the, qual- the qua- quality, no, excuse me, quantity was there. Quantity over, quality. like, the quality. I mean, again, like, the four five seven ERA, that is by all accounts, usually bad for a reliever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's just also a shame looking back at this bullpen and the names. Like, we figured going into the season, this were gonna, was going to be an area where the Orioles could really sell off. You guys got, like, a Givens, a Castro, a Blyer, um, guys that have, have, have a, somewhat of a track record that could prove valuable to a team like the Nationals who were looking to add bullpen help heading into the postseason. And... I don't want to say they pitched their way out of tradeability, but, you know, it ended up being where it takes two to tango, so they couldn't really find a match for some of these guys. Yeah, and, and for me, I'm kind of the same boat, Givens, just because of the how often he was called into service and how it sounds negative, but it could have been worse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And, and the saves were there. The strikeout, the caper nine, that's that's impressive too. It, you know, I think Orioles fans will fall into the trap of like when they think of 2019 Michael Gibbons, they're going to think of all the times he, he he struggled and kind of blew it. But 
you know, don't sleep on the. There were times where he he pitched well, and and what he was very streaky this season. That that might have been his downfall, where like he would have a couple of good outings, and then a couple of really bad outings, and a couple, you know that might be due to overuse. I don't I don't know if this was his career high in, in appearances or anything, but you know it it was it was a factor of Brandon Hyde needed someone to rely on consistently, and it, that happened to be Michael Givens more often than not, and it was just. Pile on, piling yeah. on, piling on, piling on, um, and just back to Hunter. You know, if, if Hunter Harvey has a handful of more outings, this might be a different conversation. But yeah. the fact that he only pitched in seven games as a rookie, you know, you, you can't really give it to him just because. Yeah, he looked great for seven games, but expand that over. You know, Michael Givens is fifty-eight, and we'll see yeah. what happens. So, yeah, to me, it's Givens too, just because while the numbers don't exactly show it, maybe outside the K per nine, but he was he's way more valuable than you you would expect. The positive with these last two awards is that there is a young guy at both of those spots who seems ready to win that next right. year. Whether yeah, it's yeah. Austin yeah. Hayes or Hunter Waiting in the wings. Just uh, needed more opportunities and will get more opportunities uh, next year, certainly. Final award, unless you can think of any others. Uh, executive of the year goes to Michael Elias. Just kidding. Uh, the silver- How are you kidding? It better go to Michael yeah, Elias. No, I know, it will. <laughs> I don't think there was anybody else uh, really up for debate. All right, Silver Slugger. I think it's got to go back to the first award. Trey Mancini wins it for me. Uh, he had, uh, was actually, I looked up some of his stats. Great with two outs, a great two out hitter this year, 333 average, 12 homers, 42 RBIs and OPS over one. And then in terms of his, uh, stats overall and where he fit into the American league picture, 14th in AL and OPS 12th in RBIs, 18th in batting average, 21st in walks. So, uh, checked a lot of boxes. Didn't finish in the top 10 in the American League in any, you know, major statistics, but um, was statistically one of the 15 or so best American League hitters. Um, to me, I got to give my silver slugger to him. I think I would do the same as I also recall one of our more recent with an asterisk podcast. We talked about how Trey Mancini has been hitting better than some of the bigger names and in, in across yeah. the league and more consistently. And he, man, that second half he had was just unbelievable. Like, Think of where he was statistic-wise in July. And then he tore through August and September. Again, thought we were, he was going to be on pace for like 40 home runs. Um, the most, you know, again, take out those two two weeks, the most consistently dangerous line, bat in the lineup. Yeah. And and teams, opposing teams, both opposing pitchers really had to attack this Orioles lineup with Trey Manzini in mind because he was – Looming, and you didn't want guys on base with him. The two outs stat is is also that's like for me like a clutch stat. Yeah, and and the fact that he was so clutch so often for this for this club is is why he's my silver slugger as well. The production dipping um, at months at a time was certainly an issue. He his production was weirdly variant depending on the month. He had two months in which he hit over three fifty, including September, and three months when he hit under two. Uh, 250. So, you know, he, he was awesome at times, struggling a little bit at the plate at times, but um, I think for a guy that had a lot on his shoulders uh, yeah. coming into this season, he did pretty darn and well. And that's baseball. I mean, every yeah. player goes through that. So it's, you know, it's not it's never going to be perfect. It's You're going to have your ups and downs. How, you know, how does it level out? And he leveled out to be a pretty guard, yeah. having a pretty darn good season. So recapping our awards, MVP and Silver Slugger go to Trey Mancini, Cy Young, John Maynes. John Maynes. Most improved. Mine goes to Hanser Alberto. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Comeback player of the year, I said Andrew Kashner. You had Hunter, Hunter Harvey, Harvey and Austin Hayes. Slash Austin Hayes. Good call. Uh, Cole Glove, defensive player of the year. Bobby's was Richie Martin. Mm-hmm. Mine was Hanser Alberto. And then reliever of the year, Michael Gibbons. I mean, maybe aside from Gibbons, think of all the names we just mentioned. Those are guys that can be stables for this team in the hand. Like you saw, you said that uh, Baseball America article projecting the Orioles 2023 lineup. Was yeah, it? I think so. I mean, those are all, everyone we just mentioned could very well be a major factor in this, in this organization, but in the next five years, yeah. three years, whatever it is. So future's bright. Future is bright. I mean, you know, these aren't maybe except for, uh, Andrew Kashner was thrown around too, but right. him and Michael, I mean, Michael Givens hope maybe he'll become the trade piece next season, but these are guys that are going to be your corner pieces yeah. for this rebuild moving forward. Future is bright. Shout out also to the Delmarva shorebirds for winning yeah. the MILB.com team of the year. Minor League Team of the Year, that's pretty impressive. 90 wins more than any other team in Minor League Baseball. Future is certainly bright in Birdland. Our future is bright as well. We're going to keep podcasts coming through the coming weeks leading up to winter meetings, which is weirdly around the corner all of a sudden. Around the corner, it's less than a month away. It is less than a month away. We're leaving in four weeks. I'm packing my bags as we speak. Uh, It is going to be nice to get out to San Diego. Yeah, Uh, We'll spend the entire time indoors, so we will not experience the weather at all. Uh, but it'll uh, it'll be a good time. Probably a, a generally quiet offseason for the Orioles, but Michael Elias did mention on the Hot Stove Show that they're looking for a veteran middle infielder potentially to sign, maybe bolster that group of uh, VR. Maybe if he sticks around, he may not. He may be non-tender. Trade piece. Uh, he could be a trade piece as well, and Richie Martin. So they could be looking for uh, a piece there. Other than that, Bobby, I don't know if there's any position that they're going to dip into the free agency to to bolster. Nah, we touched on this in, I think, our last podcast, too. It's like these guys, a lot of these players aren't going to have their true value, their most valuable, until July 31st. That's when teams are going to get desperate and, you know, give you King's Ransom for a reliever or a big bat off the bench, whatever yeah. it may be. So I, I expect Michael Elias to kind of hold on to these guys, um, except for if that middle relief, uh, excuse me, middle infielder comes the perfect, you know, has to be the perfect opportunity. We yeah. talked about how he didn't make too many trades during the middle of the season because he didn't get that, the perfect opportunity and the perfect trade. So yeah, I, I expect this to be kind of a quiet off season. You know, the, I think they have some, um, some staff hirings they still need to address too because they, they kind of cleared house and you're toward the end of the season. So that could be something to look forward to, but yeah, I would say rest easy, Baltimore. Stick with us because it, any breaking news we'll cover it, obviously. Yeah. But you know, we'll we'll be talking those throughout the course of this, uh, the off season, even though it might be a little quiet. Helps that uh, you have a stellar football team. Oh my across god, the and street. A possible MVP. Yeah, playing a quarterback. Good lord. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So Lamar Jackson wins our MVP for the 2019 Orioles. Um, but that just about does it for the Mass and All Access podcast. Thank you to Amy Jennings, our producer. The Mass and All Access podcast is brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. Like us, follow us everywhere. Mass and Orioles, Mass and All Access podcast. He's Bobby Blanco. I'm Paul Mancano. We'll see you later.